Good morning. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate that. Uh, If you were not here last Sunday, let me kind of rehearse where we were, what we talked about last Sunday. Last week, we started a three-week series on the holiness of God. Uh, And since some of you perhaps weren't here, let me encourage you to go online at www.mountainbaptist.com and you can watch last week's message and or listen to the podcast. But really, the holiness of God probably is one of the most misunderstood and neglected characteristics of God. So some of you were not here. Let me try to rehearse where we were last week, what we talked about. We said last Sunday that that God's holiness means that God is different from us. Now, when we think of holiness, we usually think in terms of sinless. And there is a con, uh, uh, component of sinlessness in the word holy. I, I, I totally get that and understand that. But the word holy literally means to cut or to separate. The word implies that God is separate from us. He's different from us. He is, there is a sacredness about Him. There's a separateness about Him. He's set apart. And the, the idea behind God's holiness is not just that God is better than us, but that God literally is different from us. That was last Sunday. We, that was the first point. Then we said, secondly, that God's holiness means that God is absolutely pure and perfect. In Isaiah 6.3, last week, we looked at this word that's repeated three times in that verse. The word says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I told you last week that when something is mentioned in succession like that three times, it really elevates it to the superlative degree. It's really giving it emphasis of super importance. In fact, that's the only place in the Bible where that happens. Only once in the entire Bible is an attribute of God elevated to that third degree where, where His holiness is mentioned three times. Three times the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. And the emphasis there is that He's absolutely pure, absolutely perfect, completely set apart from sin. He's flawless, unblemished. He is perfect. Purity, but that's not something you could say about you or me, is it? We're not unblemished, we're not perfect, we're not pure. And that's why we said last Sunday, the third point that we, got, that we made was this. The closer you get to God, the closer you see yourself as you really are. We looked at Isaiah last Sunday. And Isaiah, when he saw this holiness of God, his, the thing that came out of his mouth, the, the response to what he saw was simply this. Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. That is, when he saw the holiness of God, the only other thing he could see was his own sinfulness. The sinfulness, he was overcome with his own sinfulness. And and then in that story last week, God took the initiative and God cleansed him from his sin. And then God asked this question, who will go for us? Who could I send? And Isaiah, because of what God had done for him and because of who God is, Isaiah declared, here am I, send me. He started talking about woe is me at the first part of the text. And then by the end of the text, he's saying, send me. Now the reason that's important to today, two reasons. One, I wanted to make sure that that you had at least a summary of what we talked about last week as we do this series on holiness. But secondly, the text we're going to be looking at today has some remarkable similarities to that story. But today we're looking at the New Testament, not the Old Testament. 
And yet in both stories, one about Isaiah the prophet, the other one about Jesus and, and a man named Simon, in both stories there's some remarkable similarities as we look at the holiness, the whole concept of holiness. So open your Bible to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. <clears throat> Luke chapter 5, I'm just going to tell you the story and kind of read it as we go along. Beginning in Luke chapter 5, one day early in the ministry of Jesus, just as he was starting his ministry, he was standing by the Sea of Galilee teaching the Word of God to a large, large crowd of people. We pick up the story, Luke chapter 5 verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or that's another word for the Sea of Galilee, With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, if they're washing their nets, that's an indication they're done for the day. They're washing their nets, they're cleaning their nets because uh, they're ready to go home. So they wash the nets, they spread them out to dry, and so they're done for the day. And that's what they were doing, they were washing their nets. Verse 3. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, if there was ever a day when Simon Peter probably got irritated, frustrated, annoyed at Jesus, it probably was this day. He had been up all night fishing, and he came back home, came back to the shore empty-handed. I mean, I've been on a lot of fishing trips like that. How about you? I go out with great anticipation, I go, and I love to fish. I, I go out with great anticipation, and I come back empty-handed. That's kind of frustrating when you have these dreams of how big that fish is going to be that you catch, and you come back with nothing. That's the story for Peter, except here's the deal. For Peter, it was not a recreation. It was his vocation. It's how he put food on the table. And so he comes back after this night of fishing, fishing all night long, comes back empty-handed. And you know how frustrating that is. You've worked hard and you haven't gotten anything. You add to that this large crowd that probably was getting in the way. He's trying to stretch out his nets and wash them and spread them out. And this, this crowd just keeps getting in the way. And then you add to that that as he's trying to finish up so he can go home, Jesus said, can I borrow your boat? Now, this was not the first time that Peter had met Jesus. Stick your finger in Luke chapter 5. Go over to John chapter 1. I want to show you the first time that Peter met Jesus. John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, and when his When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning around, and Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? Just as he's starting out his ministry, this is when this happened. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll, you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew... Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. 
Verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the what, church? We found the Messiah. That is the Christ. The one they've been looking for all of their lives. And he brought him, that is Andrew, brought Peter or Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, looked at Simon and said, you're Simon, son of John, You'll be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said, follow me. And, and if you continue to read the story, they all begin to follow Jesus. But now watch this. this. This is important. They followed Jesus for a little while, then they went back to the fishing business. So this is not the point where they leave everything and become full-time followers of Christ and, and disciples. No, they... Right now, they're following him out of curiosity, not out of calling. Right now, they're following him because they're excited they have found the Messiah, but this is not the time yet where they're leaving everything to follow him. So they, they follow for a little bit, they learn a little bit, they go back to their old ways, they go back to their old job, they go back to the fishing business, and that's where Peter encounters Jesus again in, in Luke chapter 5, if you want to go back there now. So when Jesus said to Peter... Can I borrow your boat? Just remember, this was not the first encounter. They've had a little bit of a history. Peter knows Jesus. So when, watch this, listen. When the Messiah says, can I borrow your boat? You have a hard time saying no. And so, though you're tired and frustrated and maybe irritated and annoyed, you say sure. And you push the boat out off of the shore. Now, when Jesus finished his teaching, Simon is ready to go home and go to bed, but Jesus wanted to go fishing. Don't you know that had to tick him off? Simon's like, what do you think I've been doing all night? I've been fishing all night long. Hadn't called anything, by the way. So let's pick up the story. Chapter 5, verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water, and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. I can just see Simon looking at his brother Andrew, muttering complaints under his breath as he hoisted these nets he's just cleaned and throws them back out into the water. Probably as he takes those nets he's just clean and throws them back out into the water, he probably says, preachers, I think they know everything. <laughs> as he watched those nets sink into the water, frustrated, irritated, and that's when the miracle happened. Look at verse 6. When they had done so, when they threw those nets back out into the water, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now, I've, I've been to Israel, and I've seen how they throw these nets. I've, I've actually watched them catch fish like this, where we stood on the boat, and he takes that, that big net, and he throws it out, and there's, there's a cord there in his hand, and, and he pulls the net. He's been doing that all night long, right? He's throwing the net out. He's pulling, and he's not getting any resistance. He's not getting anything there. And he's throwing the net out, and he's pulling, and it's empty. But this time it was different. 
This time, he takes those nets he's just cleaned, he throws it out reluctantly, probably half-heartedly starts pulling, and all of a sudden, he feels resistance. Not just resistance, he feels a load. I mean, he starts pulling, and it takes a lot of effort to pull, and, and all of a sudden, it's like every fish in the Sea of Galilee has gotten in that net. Like they're competing, let me in, no, let me in, let me in. And all of a sudden, he starts pulling this net, and it's filled with fish to such a degree that the nets were actually about to break. So we read this, look in verse 7. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Talk about a fish story. Can you imagine going back and telling your buddies about this one? It's like, listen, not only was the net about to break, I got my, my partners to come help me. Not only did we fill my boat, we filled his boat, and both of them were about to sink. No doubt this is the most fish they've ever caught in their lives. I imagine Jesus must have stood there just with a smile on his face as he watched this scene unfold. Now, here's a question. If you were Peter, how would you have reacted to this? I can tell you how I would have reacted. I would have said, can you be back here next Monday? Because <laughs> we're about to have the biggest fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, here's, here's the way we'll work it. 50-50, you, you just tell me, you don't have to fish at all. You just tell me where the fish are, I'll go get them. 50-50. Okay, 40-60, tell me where the fish are, and we're going to have a huge fishing. We will dominate the Sea of Galilee fishing business. That's not what happened. Peter had a much different response, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, when he saw this, these boats filled and almost sinking because they were so full of fish, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. This is not the response we anticipated. This is not a response of excitement. This is not a response of joy. This is very, very different. This is something we didn't see coming as we're reading the story. You see, Peter had just seen something he could not explain in human terms. When he looked at the catch of fish, it was something he could not explain in human terms. And at that moment, Peter realized that he was in the presence of the holy. And he was desperately uncomfortable because he was in the presence of holiness. See, this was not common power. This was holy power. This man is different from anyone else on the face of the earth. This, this, this is amazing. And... and the response that came from Peter, it sounds, as you read it, it's almost as if it didn't come from his mind. It came from deep within him as he declared, please go away from me. Please leave me. I can't stand it. I am a sinful man. Why would he respond like that? Because he got a glimpse of the holiness Jesus. 
And whenever you see in the Bible anybody coming in contact with the holiness of God or the holiness of Jesus, they always, always are overcome with their own sinfulness. Now, that's why I said it's a lot like Isaiah, isn't it? The story is very similar to Isaiah. He suddenly became aware of his own sinfulness as he became aware of the holiness of Jesus. But it's interesting. I've read this story, I don't know how many times, and it's interesting that Jesus never addressed what Peter said. He never addressed the sin in Peter's life. He, he never, there's no word of rebuke, there is no word of judgment. Instead, Jesus uses that moment to call Peter into a lifetime of ministry. Look at verse 10. Then Jesus, second part of verse 10, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, and now, they pulled their boats up on shore, and they left everything and followed him. Now the question that you and I need to discuss this morning is, how does this intersect with your life and mine? How does this have any, anything to do with your life and mind? I think we need to go back to what Peter said in verse 8 to understand how this intersects our lives. In verse 8, what did Peter declare? He said, I am a what? Church, talk to me. He said, I am a what? Sinful man. Again, very similar to what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And if you read the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, what a wretched man that I am. It's interesting when you look at the heroes of the Bible, Isaiah, Peter, Paul. When you, when you look at the heroes of the Bible, they're declaring their own wretchedness, their own sinfulness. You see, even the best among us are sinners at best. We're all broken. We're all twisted. We're all sinful. Every one of us. Teddy Roosevelt once said, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't be able to sit down for a month. <laughs> you see, here's the problem. You know this, and I know this, but here's the problem. When, it, when, you're, when you start talking about the holiness of God, you understand you just don't measure up, do you? At best, you can say what Paul said, what a wretched man that I am. At best, you can say what Peter did. Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man, or I am a sinful woman. You see, the, the Bible is very, very clear that when it comes to a holy God, we just don't measure up. Romans 3.23 says, We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. This verse is clearly teaching that for all of us, not some of us, but for all of us, there's this gap. A gap between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Let, let me try to illustrate it for you. So the Bible says that we're all like this, that there is God... And he's holy. And then there is us. And we're sinful. 
Now, I know that's not new information for you, but I want to try to illustrate something to you. For years, for centuries, people have tried to bridge this gap. For centuries, people have wondered, how is it that I, because I'm sinful, how can I have a relationship with God who is holy? And of course, over the years, uh, people have tried different religions, and every religion is simply man's attempt to, to relate to a holy God. And they've tried, you know, uh, their good works and all kinds of things, uh, the church membership, baptism, everything they can, they can think of to try as a sinful person to be made right, to be made holy so they could have a relationship with this holy God. But the, watch this. Everybody look up here. The emphasis is always this. The emphasis is what can I do to relate to this God who is holy? The emphasis is always this way. What can I do? The emphasis is always this way. What if, what if God did something? What if this God who is holy took the initiative? What if this God who is holy sent someone who is holy to relate to us? It's interesting how this person, Jesus, began his life. The Bible talks about, you probably can't read that, but the Bible talks about a virgin birth. Let's look at this on the screen. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. What if God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, and when He came, He'd have to be holy too, wouldn't He? So He was born of the Holy Spirit. He was called the Holy One of God. Because, watch the emphasis, He's coming from God who is holy. And so He came, and He was holy. Now watch this. Not only was He holy when He came here, but the Bible says that while He lived here on earth, He lived a sinless, holy life. So many references to that. Here's a few of them that I can show you. Hebrews 4.15 describes Jesus as the one who is without sin. Hebrews 7.26 describes Him as one who is holy and blameless and pure. 1 Peter 2.22, one who committed no sin. That's the way Jesus is described. And in 1 John 3.5, in Him is no sin. So this one who came from heaven, when He came to this earth for 33 years He was here, He lived a sinless life. He maintained His holiness. Watch that. Watch this. Because he did this, he's uniquely qualified to be our sacrifice, a substitute sacrifice. You see, God has declared, this God who is holy, God has declared that the one who sins will die, that the wages of sin is death. Because God is holy, He has to judge sin. 
So he declared the wages of sin is death. So here's what he did. He allowed Jesus to come to this earth, live a sinless life. He was our substitute sacrifice. He experienced the death we ought to experience. In fact, I, can I say it to you this way? Everybody listen. Can I say it to you this way? You will either die for your sins or you will, by faith, trust that Jesus died for your sins. That's your choice. The Bible says he died as our substitute sacrifice. He died in our place. He experienced the wrath of a holy God towards our sin so that we don't have to. That uniquely qualifies him then to be what the Bible says. He is our mediator. Look at this next scripture. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not... Uh, for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I forgot to talk about that verse for here. Then the next one. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. One mediator. One mediator between a holy God and sinful man. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Now listen very carefully. Paul summarized all of this for us. If I could just kind of bring it to a, a summary statement in Romans chapter 3. Would you go there with me real quickly? Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, verse 21. He says, but now, a righteousness from God. Would you say from God? A righteousness that is... Look up here, look up here. This is, God is providing, a, God who is holy is providing a righteousness and it is a righteousness from God. Apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God, again, emphasized, comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, there's two words in this text. I wish we had the time to dig in. But there's two words I want to make sure you get. One is the word faith that you see in uh, verse 32, or I'm sorry, 22. And the other is the word grace that you see in verse 24. Faith and grace. Look up here and I can illustrate those two words for you. Look up here. Grace. Is God offering you and me what we do not deserve? A holy God wanting to be reconciled with sinful man. And He offers us the pathway to forgiveness. He offers us, us the pathway to have a relationship with Him. And He offers it because of His grace. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. And the Bible says it's through God's grace, but it's also through our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that what God has done on our behalf, that, watch, 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 that's when you, as a sinful person, can be restored into relationship with the Holy God. And that's the only way you can be restored into relationship with the Holy God. Could I summarize all of this this way? 
No other person, no other person in all of history, no other person was born the way Jesus was born. No other person in all of history lived the way Jesus lived. No other person in all of history was this, uh, died the way Jesus died. That's why he's uniquely qualified to be the only, the only way to have a relationship with God. See, only Jesus Christ can save you. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. For it is by grace you have been saved. You see this? By grace you have been saved through faith. Now, if you look at this diagram, here's my question for you. Does this describe you? I got, a, I got a, an email this week from a, a man that I met in Nashville when I went to Nashville, Tennessee uh, a couple of months ago. And this man emailed me this week. And he emailed me a story of a lady, I think she was 89 years old. And she had gone to church her entire life. She taught uh, a Sunday school class. She was the head of the mission circle. She was Miss Everything in that church. She was the rock, the pillar of that church. She was known by everybody when she was 89 years old she came to the awareness that she never truly had been saved. And that was the, her biggest hurdle was, what will people think of me? As old as I am, as long as I've been here, as much as I've done in this church, what will they think of me? She finally came to the realization, it doesn't matter what they think of me. I want a relationship with God. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. If there is a holy God, and if He's made a way for me as a sinful person to have a relationship with Him, isn't that something we should all desire? Isn't that something we should all say, I don't know why God would do it, but I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ because nobody else was born the way He was born. Nobody else lived the way He lived. Nobody else died the way He died. And nobody else came up, came up out of His own grave. I'm putting my faith in Jesus so I can have a relationship with the Holy God. I think we've got one more verse. Let's look. at We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Did, did you see that? We have been made holy. We're not holy. You're not holy, I'm not. But in God's eyes, He says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. And that's the only way you could have a relationship with the Holy God is that Jesus Christ has made you holy. I want to talk about next week a little further what that means. But my question for you today as we close is the same question I asked a moment ago. Does this describe your life? 
If not, today I'm going to ask you to put your faith in Christ. Regardless of your age, regardless of your stage in life, I'm asking you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and after we pray, we'll stand and sing. And during that time, as we stand to sing, that is your opportunity to come and put your faith in Christ. I'll be here to help you, or if you just want to go to the altar and pray and, and trust Christ as your Savior, you're certainly welcome to do that. If you have other needs, I'm here to help you, or if you just need to come to this altar to unload a burden, to talk to the Lord about something in your life, feel free to do so. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done on our behalf so that we who are sinful people could have a relationship with the Holy God. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.